Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The new fully electric Audi e-tron GT. Enjoy the breathtaking performance and design of the future of electric mobility from Audi. With Quattro-inspired flared wheel arches and matrix-designed LED headlights, every element has been carefully considered and selected to help deliver a thrilling drive. And with an acceleration of 0 to 100 kilometers per hour in 4.1 seconds, the Audi e-tron GT is performance electrified. Start the future now and visit audi.ca to learn more. When the pandemic hit Canada last year, the country's auto industry rapidly pivoted from making cars to making masks, gloves, ventilators, etc. But there was a cost. 2020 was the worst year in decades for auto manufacturers. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, I spoke to Brian Kingston, president of the Canadian Vehicle Manufacturers Association, and also Benjamin Sharp, a senior researcher at the International Council on Clean Transportation. Though globally the auto sector has lost ground in recent decades, a new era of electric vehicles is dawning and there's a new opportunity to gain back some ground. As always, the interviews were edited for clarity and brevity. First up is Brian Kingston. Hey Brian, thanks a lot for joining me on Down to Business today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. The last time we had talked, you had mentioned that 2020 was a pretty bad year for the Canadian automotive industry. And I was wondering if you can recap why that is again. Sure. So 2020 was unprecedented for the automotive industry for a number of reasons. First, when the pandemic hit, we witnessed almost overnight a pivot in the industry to build PPE. So auto manufacturers, auto supply companies immediately turned production to making PPE at a time where, of course, global supply chains were stretched. And you know this is unprecedented. We haven't seen a, a, a change of production like that really since uh, the Second World War. Then what occurred was, of course, sales of vehicles plummeted. And really, no surprise, people are in their home, they're worried about their jobs, uh, hard to see you know, how this all ends. So sales um, went absolutely through the floor and declined year over year. In 2020, sales were down 20%. Um, we, we haven't seen a, a decline that steep since 1982. Uh, and because of the, the lockdowns uh, and production stoppages, production hit its lowest level uh, since 1982 as well. So really an unprecedented year for the Canadian auto industry. Wow. So that's like th- about 35 years. I want to come back to that in a second, but just ask you about that pivot. Why did this fall to automotive manufacturers? Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, first, the auto industry, when it comes to quality control and high volume production, there's there's nothing like the auto industry. That's what they specialize in doing. So when the call went out, it was obvious that the auto sector was well-placed. Assembly facilities uh, have tons of smart engineers, supply chain experts who, who know how to build things well and build them quickly, which was critical. Um, you know, in terms of what what does it mean, kind of going into the future? I think once we're through this, you know, I think there's going to be a real discussion around what are some of those industries and and supply chains that are really critical and part of um, you know the resiliency of the Canadian economy into the future. You know, 
we're a country that depends on open, open global trade. We've got a relatively small domestic market. We can't do and build everything in Canada that we consume. However, I think the auto industry really proved why having a strong domestic industrial base can be extremely beneficial when faced with things like a pandemic. If you didn't have that, you wouldn't, you just simply wouldn't have the ability to stand up that manufacturing of PPE quickly. And of course, this discussion is playing out right now with vaccines too. Yeah, well, there's certainly like a lot of discussion about that we need to have a discussion about our supply chains. I think the good the good news is we know now the capacity is there. So, you know, should should that type of situation ever happen again, you know, I, almost overnight you can you can stand up that type of production, which is fantastic. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's like you don't know whether to laugh or cry that, you know, we're relying on these like really advanced manufacturers to produce stuff that seem not that advanced, but Leaving that aside, going back to sales plummeting 20%, um, what does 2021 look like? Yeah, so 2021, a little bit earlier this year, the, the, the forecast for the sector was around 1.8 million units sold in Canada. So that's up from uh, around 1.5. That, that was the hope. Uh, not the strongest year on, on record, but uh, it would be a, a decent outcome. However, since that most recent forecast, we, of course, have seen the third wave. And in addition to that, we're now witnessing very significant global shortages of microchips. When you combine both issues, you've got people going into another lockdown, which means, uh, again, more uncertainty for consumers and likely uh, you know, a real weakening of demand for new vehicles, at least during this period. And then on top of that, inventories could be facing challenges simply because automakers are, are having difficulty getting their hands on microchips, which are in, increasingly important in vehicles. So all this to say is 1.8 million for 2021 may be optimistic. There are a lot of headwinds facing the industry right now. So you know we'll, we'll see where we land. And when you talk about Canadian auto sales, how have sales been in the U.S.? Yeah, I, I mean, the U.S. witnessed a similar, you know, significant decline in the early stages of the pandemic. The recovery there has been stronger, and it's looking as though, just given the pace of the vaccine rollout, we haven't seen the rolling lockdowns occurring in, in the U.S. As recently. So, it, you know, the forecast for the U.S. economic recovery is stronger currently right now than, than Canada, uh, which bodes well for new vehicle sales through 2021. That's important for Canada because you know we we don't build vehicles in Canada just to service Canada. These vehicles are primarily going to the United States. So when when the U.S. grows and the U.S. is strong, it's good for Canada. Yeah, I mean we talk about Canada and the U.S. having integrated automotive industry. I recently had a guest on the show talking about CP Rail's proposed plans to create a new transcontinental railroad that would stretch from Canada down into Mexico, where. A lot of automobile companies have set up shops in the last decade. I was wondering if you'd looked at that deal and thought about what it means for Canada's auto industry. Yeah, I did. And look, at the end of the day, if it, given the integrated nature of this industry, if that CP merger results in giving automakers more options on more routes at a more competitive price, that's good for the auto industry. So we'll have to see. You know, it's still early in, in terms of how that merger is going to work, but you know, this industry is completely integrated throughout North America. Parts, vehicles, cross-borders constantly throughout the production process. 
And transportation, efficient transportation, reliable transportation is so important to the overall success of the sector. So if the merger enhances the transportation side of things, it's good for the industry. I see. So can you give us a little bit of a snapshot of what lies ahead for the Canadian automotive industry? I mean, there's been a lot of talk about retooling plants so that they can produce electric vehicles. What do you think is going to drive growth? Sure. So you know, d- despite the, the hugely negative economic environment we found ourselves in in 2020, one bright spot was that Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis announced investments of $5.7 billion into Canada. And this is both to produce electric vehicles. So for example, General Motors will be converting its assembly facility at Ingersoll to produce transportation van, the Bright Drop Electric. Ford Oakville will be shifting to a full battery electric vehicle line there. And Galantis in Windsor will be adding an electric vehicle line to the facility. So at a time where business, for good reason, in other sectors of the economy, we weren't seeing a great deal of new investment. The auto industry has, has emerged here as a very confident investor in Canada. So that's great news for Canada. The big challenge is we got to keep ourselves competitive and we have to help Canadians actually make the move into electric vehicles. Well, it's going to be interesting. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. Happy to join you. Great conversation. Thanks. That was Brian Kingston, president of the Canadian Vehicle Manufacturers Association. My next guest, Benjamin Sharp, is a senior researcher at the International Council on Clean Transportation. Hey, Ben Sharp, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I noticed in a report last year, you found that Canada manufactures like about 2 million light-duty passenger cars and trucks, which makes it the 12th largest auto-producing country in the world. But in 2000, so about 20 years ago, it was the fifth largest. And I was wondering if you could explain exactly what happened. Certainly, as as you spoke to the kind of long 20-year decline in in auto manufacturing in Canada has been driven by several factors. Uh, I think you can certainly point to NAFTA. Certainly lots of market share has drifted down into uh, the U.S. and perhaps more so Mexico. But, you know, I I think one of the things we're, we're more interested in is, you know, how can Canada reverse those trends? And, you know, certainly the announcements from Ford and, and Kia Chrysler and GM recently about electric vehicle production in Canada. Really, really encouraging for us. You know, this we're hopeful that it's a kind of a first step in a trend towards, you know, attracting more electric vehicle investment in Canada. You know, this is something that uh, labor is super focused on. Canadian industry is well aware that electrification is, is the future. Uh, not only the future, it's, it's really now. So it's it's really been great to see Canada uh, commit to uh, federal investments. Uh, there's a couple of provinces, uh, Quebec and BC, where with some very generous uh, point of sale uh, incentives for consumers. We think that this is a great start, but you know, in order for Canada to hit its 2030 and 2040 goals, which are very ambitious in terms of rolling out electric vehicles and and more or less fully transitioning over to 100% electric vehicle sales by 2040. To hit that really ambitious goal, uh, regulation, incentives, uh, really everything that you can do in terms of policy is going to be needed to uh, transform the market in less than 20 years. You sort of framed it such that if we could get into electric vehicles, 
this could be a way to revitalize the auto industry. What are the, some of the challenges? Yeah, you know, the way we think about it is that really these, you know, extraordinarily ambitious targets require an equally extraordinarily ambitious package of policies. So price parity at the point of sale is coming soon. But over the next, you know, three to five years till that happens, we really think that point of sale uh, incentives for consumers are really one of the most important tools that governments can use to make electric vehicles more attractive. Infrastructure, also a huge piece of the puzzle. We, we can't overstate the importance of governments investing in infrastructure. Kind of so far, the case has been that most electric vehicles go to folks where they can have kind of at home charging. But you know, as, as electric vehicles become more of a mainstream product, we really think it's imperative that these be able to serve people at all price points and, and socioeconomic statuses. You know, if you, if you talk about getting 100% sales by 2040, it's a really, it's a really significant challenge to be able to not only to provide the vehicles um, that are going to work across the, the whole wide range of climate conditions. Um, but to be able to recharge those vehicles, to service those vehicles, this is a really monumental change that's going to impact all of our lives and just millions and millions of jobs. And so, you know, this is going to be a, a two-decade kind of all hands on deck, putting everything that we can towards transforming uh, the transportation space to making it electrified. You know, per- perhaps every generation feels like they're kind of at a, you know, a unique time in history, but you know, certainly for the transportation space, there's no denying that fossil fuels have had about a hundred year run and the days are numbered for sure. And, you know, it's not a matter of if, but when, and, you know, almost every day there's a new announcement from either an automaker or a government saying, okay, this is the, you know, the cutoff date for uh, internal combustion. I think one of the things that, that creates a lot of argument and debate about this is that these are some of the most contentious laws in the land, the climate change sort of carbon reduction laws. What happens if countries don't meet their emission targets? Do you still see demand for electric vehicles being as strong? We do. We think that this is a superior technology, both in terms of performance, but also just some of the more uh, soft costs so like noise, acceleration, just in terms of maintenance costs you know, total cost of ownership, customer experience. And like I said, once the the price point gets to be equal and then ultimately lower than conventional vehicles, then that's when the, the, you know, the the market is really going to hit that steep part of the hockey stick and and just take off. When do you think that could happen? We see that happening over the next three to seven years, depending on the vehicle type, you know, for the more compact cars, more three to four years out. And then for the heavier vehicles, so your SUVs and, and trucks, um, we see that more towards the, the later end of this decade. But, you know, these companies are extremely innovative. What's really exciting is that, you know, consumers are starting to get so many more choices. And that's one of the things that, that we see as the most important thing in driving sales is giving consumers choices and also having inventory. So, you know, obviously folks don't want to wait three months, six months, a year uh, to get their vehicles. So can you tell me a little bit about what the current state of Canada's EV manufacturing is? You, you've written in the past that it's pretty low, like only one plug-in vehicle model, the Chrysler Pacifica, was produced here, I think. But correct me if I'm wrong about that. 
Yeah, that's right. So the analysis that we did looked at uh, the year 2019. And at the time, Chrysler Pacifica was the only plug-in being manufactured in Canada. Um, but as I mentioned, you know, the recent announcements from this past fall, so Ford and FCA and, and now GM, um, I, I don't think you can overstate the importance of what that means in terms of, you know, having that electric vehicle production in Canada. But yeah, I think it's it's got to be just a first step because, you know, ultimately, you know, as I said, we're moving towards 100% zero emission and manufacturers are are quickly scoping out their plans for, for what plants they're going to retrofit, where these uh, vehicles are going to be produced. What are you looking at as we emerge from the pandemic to see, like, what's going to be crucial to you for this sort of transition, you know, cleaner transportation in Canada? Yeah, I think one of the things that we're thinking a lot about is what transit looks like, ride sharing. You know, certainly those services have been really uh, significantly kind of decimated more or less over the last year. You know, we've seen, you know, transit uh, ridership fall by, you know, between 60 and 90 percent globally because certainly in the commercial vehicle market, buses have been way out in front in terms of the transition to electric drive. And, you know, all of these transit agencies have really been hurting uh, in the wake of COVID. And what we're hopeful is that the plans that went into place uh, before COVID in terms of moving buses over to electric drive, we hope that those aren't compromised just due to the fact that these transit agencies, you know, their budgets have been slashed and many are, are really struggling. But in terms of light duty, you know, with these rideshare services, the Ubers, the Lyfts of the world, you know, certainly we've seen ridership on, on those fronts really fall. And, you know, again, you know, those those types of services, taxis are really some of the most interesting use cases for electric vehicles because those vehicles tend to really drive quite a bit more than, than just personal vehicles. Um, you're really seeing the benefits of electrification and fuel savings be much larger for the, for those use cases where you're putting so many kilometers on those vehicles. So, you know, we, we're hopeful, again, that, you know, these companies that had these really ambitious goals in terms of transitioning over to electric drive, they're, you know, these aren't compromised just because, you know, budgets have been impacted so much uh, due to COVID. But, you know, again, I, I think cost is king. So it's going to be a really interesting year uh, seeing the, the bounce back uh, in vehicle sales, I think globally, 2021 is, is projected to kind of get back to where things were in, in, in 2019 in terms of the overall market. So it's, it's really exciting time. It's a fascinating discussion, and I really appreciate you coming on to talk about all these issues, Ben. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was Benjamin Sharp, Senior Researcher at the International Council on Clean Transportation. And that's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Bryce Hall for music and production. Yudula Hussain for editing, and Pamela Heaven for web support. I'm Gabe Friedman, your host, and until next week, get all your business news at financialpost.com.